Thank you, James. So he said he was scribbling a lot last gathering. So <laughs> good morning, Red Hills. It is so good to be with you this morning. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online as well today. We still got lots of people watching online. So can we give it up for our online church family? We love that you're joining in today. If we have not been able to meet one-on-one -on -one before, I would love to meet you, but my name is Kate Swanson. I have the joy of serving as executive pastor here at Red Hills. So we are in the season of Lent. We are in the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Holy Week, and this is a time we are taking to intentionally pray and repent and fast and lament to individually and collectively see the world as it is in all of its brokenness and confusion. And we lay it before the feet of Jesus. And we understand that his sacrifice covers it all when we look to the cross on Good Friday and ultimately the greatest news of all, the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So our Lenten series is entitled Questions, Bringing Everything to God. And here are the core statements of this series. God, we know that you are king of the world, but it doesn't always feel that way. Jesus, I know that your promises are true, and I can't, um, but I can't always see it. So I've got to start my message with a warning. Today might be a real bummer. <laughs> Um, hear me out after um, my last message about six weeks ago. Um, you kind of have all this adrenaline from speaking, and I, I went home in the afternoon, and I was like, I'm ready to start my next message already. And so I pulled up the spreadsheet, um, and I was thinking, man, my next one needs to be full of joy. Like, I want to talk about the fruits of the Spirit or something. I want it to be full of joy. And I pull up the spreadsheet, and I look at March 5th, and I see my name. And then I see the word lament. <laughs> so I looked up to the heavens and I said, okay, Lord, we're going to unpack some lament. Uh, but I want to promise you, we might dip into the valley in this message, but we will return to the mountaintop on the other side. I don't know about you. I have a lot of questions. I have this personality trait where uh, if I have a big decision on something, I want to go to a lot of people and ask a lot of questions. I want to take in as much knowledge as I possibly can. I need a lot of insight. I maybe ask too many people. <laughs> and it can take me a long time to process and gain knowledge to make the most accurate decision. And when it comes to my walk with Jesus, the longer I walk with him, the more questions I ask him. To be really transparent, I've walked through a lot of pain and sorrow in the last three years walking through full-time ministry, maybe more than any other time span in my life. And I've got really big questions of God. You might have the same questions. They go something like this. Why do people that I love walk through painful, treacherous disease even though I've prayed for healing or a cure for years? Why am I losing a parent to Alzheimer's and grieving the loss of the person that I knew completely, even though she was independent 14 months ago? 
why do incredible people of God who are doing everything right and walking with Jesus pass away all too soon? And how can someone in ministry who looks perfectly fine on the outside still walk through the deepest, darkest depths of depression, some call it a dark night of the soul, and ask God the question, what am I even doing here? When it comes to pain and grief and lament, I still have a lot of questions. So today we're going to talk about bringing our laments to God. So what is lament? The concept of lament can be a song or an expression of mourning or sorrow. These writings, they can be full of earthly trouble or bereavement, trying to reconcile the unthinkable. Think of natural disasters or catastrophes. Or maybe remarks on how God has brought judgment on his people. Now, the act of lamenting, to say to lament, can be both communal and individual. And it is an expression of deep grief, sadness, or anguish. It can be the act of crying out or wailing, or it can be deep inner turmoil. And when we look at the scriptures and how they grieved, they asked a lot of questions. I think all kids go through a phase where they repetitively ask the question, why? <laughs> uh, my son did this when he was about three years old, and he asked questions like, why is the sky blue? Why do we stop at a red light? Why do we have to brush our teeth? <laughs> and I would try my best. I was determined. I wanted to always give him an answer. So when it came to teeth, we were like, yeah, you have to brush your teeth because the food will create bacteria, and then it'll... It'll rot out your teeth, and it creates an immune response. It's telling you something's wrong, and your gums get flamed. I, I would go down the rabbit trail with him until eventually I could no longer give him a thoughtful answer. So here's my question as we unpack and walk through this message focused on questions. Can questioning God's promises be an act of worship? Can questioning God's promises be an act of worship? Can lament be an act of worship? When we are in the middle of treacherous, painful seasons of our lives, and we ask God, why me? Can these conversations be honoring to the Father? We're going to look at Psalm 126 to, today in a moment, if you want to start turning there. And we'll unpack this a little bit. So when we look at scriptures, when we look at the whole Bible, we find this book called Lamentations, right? It has five poems from an anonymous author reflecting on the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem and the horrendous catastrophe and exile that followed. Lamentations is a memorial to the pain and confusion of the, that the Israelites had and the destruction that followed. And Lamentations isn't the only place in the Bible we find poems of lament. Over a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. These writings are a form of protest to draw attention to, even, even God's attention, to the horrible things that have happened to people and how they should not be tolerated. 
They process emotions. They vent their anger and dismay at the ruin caused by people's sin and selfishness in the world. These poems are a place to voice confusion of our human suffering and makes us ask questions about God's character and promises. Now, none of this is looked down on in the Bible. These poems give a sacred dignity to human suffering. These human words of grief addressed to, to God have now become God's word to his people. So, we go back to the main question. Can the questions in the laments be an act of worship? These psalms of a lament, um, some of them give instructions to the choir master, so they're meant to be sung. Some of them, um, even like Psalm 5, says it should be accompanied by a flute. So there's that. So how can laments be lifted as adoration to the Lord? Let's look at Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This passage is one of the songs of ascents, and it is written in the genre of community lament. There's no agreement on the date or situation, but they do believe that it follows uh, what I was giving you on the historical timeline of Lamentations um, and shares the return of the children of Israel from the Babylonian exile after 70 years, and they rebuilt Jerusalem. But commentators aren't really sure. And there's a juxtaposition between the dreams and the joy and the laughter of restoration and the understanding that their current need is restoration. There is reassurance that God will be faithful. The lament ends with the hope that they'll return with joy, a plentiful harvest. But the work, the lament that is done through laborious tears, they have to believe in the end that the Lord will be with his people and bless them when they reap joy. Two things are transformed by the tears, the tears themselves and the weeper. Now, if we want to be really literal about this scripture, we would be at home catching our tears in a jar and watering our houseplants. <laughs> but I know that's a silly picture. That's kind of just the first thing that came to mind. But here's the point we don't want to miss about Psalm 126. Our tears, they have meaning. So many times we feel that our emotions are sinful, that there's a problem if we cry or weep or express frustration. We sense that those feelings, when we emote or express them, are the root issue themselves. We have to just stuff them down. I love this quote from Timothy Keller. I'll share more from him in a bit, but uh, it puts it into such clear language. There's a kind of joy that comes from avoiding tears. It doesn't really change you. 
there's a kind of joy that comes through the tears, and it does change you. I truly believe that God created our emotions and is okay with them. In Revelation 21, it says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. It doesn't say he will dry up our tear ducts <laughs> so they will cry no more. It does say that there will be no mourning or crying out of sin's distortion. But happy tears? I like to think they'll be on the other side of eternity. Now, can we sin out of our emotions? Yes, 100%, absolutely. So the question there lies, how do we lament well? We plant our tears. We go to God with the true, raw, unbearable pain that we feel. We weep. We acknowledge the tears and sadness and anguish. Sometimes we need to sit with people in our grief. Sometimes it's scheduling time with a counselor or finding a grief share group or getting coffee with a trusted mentor. Meeting with someone can be a healthy part of regular rhythms for processing pain and anger. For me, I offer something called pastoral care, or pastors on staff do, and we sit with people in their joy and in their sadness. But I also see a spiritual director myself, and I check in, and I process with someone else so that I can be in a healthy place to serve others. We all need this. And we walk this out. We have two people in our church going through knee surgeries in about a week, and I think it's fascinating because I kept asking, well, what are you going to do when you're laid up in bed that whole time? And actually, come to find out, you're supposed to start walking in the hospital after surgery. Walking helps deliver important nutrients to the knee to help it heal and recover. You'll need assistance from crutches or a walker for a few weeks, and then hopefully you'll be able to fully walk without pain in a few months. At times, it doesn't feel natural. We need to walk through the tears in these rhythms. We need to step into community or plant our tears so that our grieving gets to a healthy place. In my studies, I ran across this great message from Timothy Keller where he unpacks the two psalms of lament that end without hope. Now, all the other psalms of, psalms of lament end with something like, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Or, I will put my hope in God, I will praise him again. But there are two that end without hope. Psalm 39 says, leave me alone so I can smile again before I am gone and exist no more. This is a psalm of David where he earlier shares how he feels a stranger in God's presence and asks God to turn away from him so he can have a moment of relief before he dies alone. Psalm 88 goes like the, ends like this. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. They have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. What is this doing here? <laughs> um, this is in the scriptures. Darkness is my closest friend. 
in our faith, we can express this kind of deep frustration with God? Yes. These scriptures reveal that it is safe to bring everything to God. Your deepest feelings, your anger and tears, do they belong locked away in your heart where you never express or feel or emote? Or is God saying, all of this, all of this belongs with me? God says it's safe to pray like this to me. When a toddler gets injured, I have a two-year-old right now, <laughs> when a toddler gets injured, if she stubs her toe and tears start streaming down her face and she runs with her arms stretched out to me, I see her and I scoop her up and I hold her for a while until her heart settles and she takes a deep breath. Now she ran to me, yes, and I comforted her. Did I take away her pain? No. But she knows that she's safe with me. How much more does your heavenly father love you? This is the realism of the Christian faith. Even through the pain, we cry out to God and we ask why. These sections of scripture, they show that God knows how desperate we get. How even in the depth and despair, we have the ability to cry out to him, to bring comfort in the middle of it all. It shares that in this life, there will be deep pain. Psalm 39 ends in abandonment, and Psalm 88 ends in darkness. While we serve a God that you can bring all your questions and frustrations to, when you are in the pit, you need someone to tell you the truth of the gospel. So you do not sit at the bottom of a spiral of lies. When people walk through the deepest, darkest depression, two of the most common thoughts are, no one cares about me, and everyone would be better off without me. I'm going to get real serious about this for a moment. If you have ever considered self-harm or suicide, those two lies, they are from the enemy, and they are not true. I'm going to um, put some information up here. 988 is a national suicide prevention hotline. You can call or text it 24-7, or if you would like to meet with someone like a local counselor, um, Pastor Lane has a list that he would um, be willing to share with you. But when you are in the darkest valley and it looks like there is no light at the end of the tunnel, you need someone to tell you the truth, that you are deeply loved by a Savior who has good plans and purposes for you. But there are also people around you who would do anything to keep you here on this earth. If you need someone to talk to, go to a trusted friend. If you are open to talking to one of our pastors or staff member, members, we are here for you. We would gladly meet with you. But meet with someone 
meet with a counselor, keep asking the hard questions because I know God will meet you in the darkness. Even if it doesn't feel like, even as these psalms end without hope, we feel that we are deep in the pit without darkness. But God is still there. You just need to hold on. When we are in the pit, things don't make sense. Our minds tell us that there is no hope. But I promise you, I promise you, there is hope. So we walk through the hard process of lament. Pastor Lane once shared that this image of lament can be like a a tent, right? It's not meant to be your main living structure, but it's meant to be a place that you go to for a season. And you weep and you cry and you stay there for a while and you process fear and pain. Maybe you seek wise counsel And someday over time, that weight is going to feel a little less heavy. And we can start taking the stakes down one by one. And we can fold up the tent and we can put it back in its bag. And we carry it with us, but it's a little smaller than before. And maybe one day we unpack it again to be the covering over someone else walking through the same. It's just like the sowing and reaping of harvest. Watering, crying, waiting, and then somehow, someway, on the other side, there can be joy again. So sow whatever little you have and the Lord will bless it. If you can't tell by now in this message, Christianity isn't selling you something True faith in Jesus isn't a walk in the park. I'm really sorry if I just burst someone's bubble. I'm really sorry. (laughs) But it's not blindly accepting that now I've accepted Jesus and now I've been dunked in the water and now everything's going to be great. We have to recognize that those are false expectations. You can be a Christian and walk through the darkness for a really long time. I have people close to me who have, who wrestle with the deep ache of the pit for years, maybe decades. And this is the honest gospel truth of the Christian life. It is wrestling with the Lord and crying tears in the carpet and still following him anyways. Because in the end, you know that he will reconcile it all that God will not only wipe away every tear, but through the suffering will somehow, some way, bring joy and purpose on the other side. So we stay faithful to him, even when it doesn't make sense. We say, this doesn't feel good right now, but Lord, I'm still gonna pray, and I'm still gonna go to church, and I'm still gonna worship, and I'm still gonna love my neighbor, I'm still going to do what you called me to because this isn't a transactional relationship where I just worship you when it feels good. I'm going to praise you even in the pit. Even through my tears and weeping, I will lift my hands to you. 
We build this endurance when we mentally shift from my Christian life is going to be a walk in the park to understanding that the tears will come. There's the story of this dad that arrived home and he found his two young daughters sitting on the doorstep, both weeping. And he looks to one daughter and he says, why are you crying? She says, my, my doll's broken, the arm popped out. And so he, he takes the doll and he pops the arm back in and he hands it to her. And he looks at the second daughter and says, why are you crying? And she says, well, I was just helping her cry. And when you begin walking with Jesus, I'm going to be honest, you may cry more. <laughs> if you haven't tell, I do. Um, <laughs> I think my tear ducts are broken. They overproduce liquid for so many things. So <laughs> and then it makes more sense when we read Ezekiel and that God will give you a new heart and he will give you a new spirit. He'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When you walk with Jesus, he gives you a heart of flesh. You see people differently. Your heart grieves when they grieve, and your personal pain and tragedy propels you to care for others walking through similar seasons. When you've walked through the darkness with Jesus and come out the other side, something miraculous happens. Whatever tragedy you walk through, you planted your tears, and it becomes a deep empathy for others in the same boat. You might not even be able to name them right now, but I'm guessing every single person in here, there's been at least one time in your life where you've shown up for someone else because of the pain or the experience that you walked through. This planning of tears, it's the reminder that your suffering isn't wasted. Our family has gone through a couple week-long hospitalizations um, over the last 10 years. The first was with my husband, um, where there were moments where the doctor said, we don't know if he's going to make it. And then about three years ago, we um, walked through about a week where my son was in the hospital, and they just said, we don't know if he's physically going to be okay ever again. Talk about darkness. Thankfully, through the prayers of many saints in this church and God's provision, they are both in a much healthier place today. But I haven't forgotten the darkness of the hospital rooms. When you cry out to God. And now if I heard you've had a hospital stay, you bet I'm bringing you a meal. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have a a meal train all set up or not, it doesn't matter if you say you're okay or, and you're fine, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna bring you a meal because I know the emotional and physical toll it takes after getting home from the hospital and just trying to get back to normal again. So it might be the smallest thing I can do, literally take something off of your plate by giving you a meal, but I'm gonna do it because I know the grace needed in that season and I can extend it to someone else. We all need a lot of grace, right? 
I was reading this uh, monthly update from our missionaries in the Dominican Republic, Lane and Akari Hadley. Uh, Akari is a school nurse there, and uh, at the high school, they realized that there was a bully culture going on and that they needed to do something about it. So she, along with the counselor at the school, um, came up with a plan and decided that they needed something called a challenge day. So they got the students together and the first part of the day was like wild and crazy and they got kind of all their energy out and had all these games. And then they got to a time where they sat together and talked. And the counselor on staff um, shared how our lives are like icebergs. You might have heard this analogy before where there's only so much that you see on the surface, but there's so much in the darkness beneath the surface that other people carry. And so they had this challenge. They were supposed to answer this question. If you really knew me, you would know fill in the blank. And the goal was for students to have compassion and empathy for one another to understand that other people are walking through painful, hard things. And they had this shared empathy moment where they realized you're human just like I am. We're gonna take a bit longer today to just kind of walk through communion. So if you wanna just take your elements and hold them in your hands for a bit. Um, because when we unpack lament, I keep coming back to these words of Jesus on the cross. And I want you to look at them through the lens of Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. Those two psalms are different than all the rest. They don't end on a lift. They sit in the hopelessness and misery and distress of our human existence with these two things, darkness and abandonment reminds me of the scripture in Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema shabathathi, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced the darkness. He walked through it. The whole earth knew a black sky in the middle of the day as he hung on the cross. And there, without any other means of defense, his disciples, his friends, his family, his loved ones, he was utterly alone, abandoned, forsaken. His father turned his face away. Darkness was his only friend. And this quote from Timothy Keller just shook me to my core. Jesus Christ experienced darkness as his only friend, so in your darkness, you can know that Jesus is still your friend. Jesus was truly abandoned so that you will only feel abandoned. We have a Savior who knows the absolute weight of these earthly bonds and is willing to walk through the darkest depths to reach out and help lift you from them. Our story doesn't end without hope. We see a good incarnate Jesus experience the tears that in the end produce joy. 
So we are human, and we cry out in desperation. God knows that. But Jesus came and died and sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in you on this earth so that when you feel in the darkness and abandoned, you will always have someone to turn to. I read my kids' Bible books to them at night, and we always come back to the fact that Jesus sent the helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit to abide in you forever, the spirit of truth that the world cannot receive and that the Holy Spirit will dwell with you and not leave you orphans. That's from John 14. Even if you feel alone, even if you feel that nobody cares, when you ask Jesus to come and you ask the Holy Spirit to come and the Spirit to dwell inside of you, you say to your flesh, no, this isn't the truth, that there's a God who deeply loves me and that I'm not alone. I'm not abandoned. And there are godly people in my life who can remind me of the hope Jesus gave me through his death and resurrection. So we look at the cross, and even if we say, why me, we look, at, we look up and we say, why him? He didn't deserve any of this. You can still be an incredible person of God and still walk through the darkness. Look, it happened to Jesus. As long as this world lasts, we will experience the darkness. But to him, it was all worth it to meet you in your darkest moment and say, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome. So in the middle of the all, it all, we look to Jesus' gift, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and then all things will be healed and, re- and reconciled in the resurrection to come. So go ahead and take out the bread. If you're new to faith or you're not sure what this is about, you can just hold them in your hands. There'll be a prayer team up here at the very end. They would love to share with you and pray with you about what it means to follow Jesus. And we as a church body, we partake in communion with Jesus here on earth. We look at the bread, Jesus' broken body, and we know the pain he experienced so we could have eternal life in him. We recognize his sacrifice, and we take the bread together. And we take the cup, the cup of the new covenant, and we know that his blood was poured out to take away our sin Until we are with him again in eternity, we drink from this cup in remembrance of him. Let's drink together. Lord, I thank you that even in the darkest depths, you are with us. You find us. You are the good shepherd who comes alongside us in the darkest valleys. But in the end, Lord, our hope is in you. Even if we feel hopeless, we can find hope in you. We can find hope in your community and how you have called your people together, Lord. Let us be there for one another. Let us look to you and your ultimate sacrifice. And let us know that in the end, you will reconcile it all. And we will be with you. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
The worship team's going to lead us in a song called Son of Suffering. This is a new song, and uh, some of the lyrics come out of Isaiah 53, where Jesus was prophesied in this way, that he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. He understands us. He really does. So as we enter this time, you can feel free to sit or kneel or stand and worship or cry tears in the carpet. It all belongs because in the end, we know the true hope in Jesus. We look forward to the real end in Revelation 21. No more mourning, no more pain, true joy and peace, the shalom of God and the ultimate unity with Jesus.